It can be scary when you think about how much of our so-called personal and confidential information is actually accessible in so many places and by so many different people and organizations. You need to learn what's being done with this information and how to keep yourself secure. Welcome to My Connected Life with Tyler Cohen Wood. When you're in control of your data in cyberspace, you feel all the more secure. Now, here's your host, Tyler Cohen Wood. Hi, welcome to My Connected Life. I'm your host, Tyler Cohen Wood. And today we have a very interesting topic. We're going to talk about social engineering. What is it? Why does it work so well? And what can we do about it? And today we have three special guests. We have Scott Schober, my sometimes co-host, cybersecurity extraordinaire, um, Maralise de Villiers, the founder and CEO of Roar Coaching and Consulting, best-selling author, behavioral change consultant, specializing in finance, technology, and cybersecurity awareness, culture, and talent. We also have Rob May. He's an MD, founder of Ramsack.com. He's a UK ambassador for cybersecurity with the IOD. He sits on several advisory boards and is an award-winning international keynote speaker, cybersecurity author, and he has very unique taste in t-shirts. Welcome, Marley, Scott, and Rob. I'm so happy for, to have you guys here. Yeah, and great to be on. It's great Hi. to be here, indeed. Hello. Hi there. So I have a statistic here. In 2021, 98% of successful cyber attacks were caused by social engineering. And at the same time, social engineering threats also rose by 270% in 2021. What is going on? I think one of the things that accelerated the problem uh, last year is new normal. I hate that term, but everyone knows what that is, right? And I think this the dispersed workplace, people working from home, uh, all sorts of new problems, new ways of attack happened. And people people had time, people are working in a different way. And that, you know, those boundaries between secure IT in the workplace and us always being connected and always online are, are, are very much a reality and a, a part of this issue, I think, in terms of why the numbers have increased so much. I mean, as 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 a behavioral consultant, uh, Maralise, do you think that some of this has to do with um, with you know to tack on to Rob's point with the stress, the anxiety that has been brought on by um, by really COVID and this shift to this new work environment, and perhaps maybe even people are more um, more afraid, more exposed, so they're more likely to fall for one of these attacks. I think that's absolutely spot on, Tyler. I think that's exactly what I was going to build on what Rob has just said, because um, people have have also lost those work-life boundaries and 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 what we have seen is a is a, a dramatic increase in work hours and of course that goes hand in hand with loss of attention span you know loss of ability to think clearly so there's a lot of mental fog and i think all of that's contributed to people just 
going at such a pace and not thinking clearly and not taking that moment to stop and think before they perhaps click on a malicious link. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maybe I could add to it too. I, I was just thinking myself, I almost fell for this this morning in, in that I had th- three different uh, Zoom interviews today and I was setting up the test one earlier and I went on the link and I had multi-factor authentication set. And I said, you know, this is so annoying. Why don't I just take this off? It'd be a lot faster, a lot more convenient. And then I said, stop, wait a minute. What do I talk about all the time? So I think, again, we are part of the challenge. As humans, we tend to be complacent. We tend to be lax when it comes to being secure. And we think we're the exception to the rule when it's something as simple as connecting on Zoom, or it could be something a little bit more where we're connecting on our bank account or a secure login, we let our guards down easily. And I think it plays in so nicely the, the, the human element with social engineering. So these social engineers will now try to exploit our natural tendencies, our innocence, our trust, and, and as both have really well expressed with, with this new norm this work from home, work remotely environment, we, we have less time and we have to accomplish more things in some ways. And to do that, you tend to cut corners and cyber criminals love that. That's where they can move in and exploit it every time. They just have to find one hole. That's it. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I actually almost fell victim to one of these attacks um, a couple of years back um, where, and I mean, it was, it was in it wasn't even a sophisticated attack it was a very simple one and <clears throat> i came very close to falling for it and i was like well why did i do that and i realized um you know i was in a really bad place i was sick um our dog of 13 years had just died and we we make the assumption this assumption that everyone's always at their best and i was not at my best fortunately i did not um end up clicking the link, but I almost did. And I mean, I don't really know what the solution is because the social engineers are very, very good at what they do. And to, to Scott's point, to all of your points, you know, if social engineering really relies on fear, um, people's good nature and urgency. Yeah, it, it does. But I think it's, it's more than that because I think what social engineers do is get you to act typically in a way that isn't good for you. And in order to do that, as a social engineer, they need to fill enough pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that you're making a decision using your subconscious brain rather than your conscious brain so that you're on autopilot and you're you're more on autopilot at different times, you know, and and whether that's because you're dealing with loss or because you're tired or whatever. If, If I can, if I'm a cyber criminal and I can plug enough pieces of the story that it just seems okay, you know, you see, you hear so many stories of people who were nearly scammed. Yes. And they were on the phone call and they were, they were going along with it. And then all of a sudden they think, hold on, that's not right. And then when they stop and the person on the other end gets really angry because you're stopping them doing their, their criminal activity, 
that point where you stop and you think, hold on a minute, that's the second that your conscious thinking has kicked in and you're no longer an autopilot. Up until this point, everything's felt normal and it, it, it's felt okay. Um, you know, and I, I think that plays that plays in too. I mean, that's that, that's that's a great point. I mean, it really is. And, you know, we've kind of been in this situation for for a long time. And, you know, we, we also have to take into account, too, the stress of having kids at home or the stress of really anything, because right now, as humans, we are under more stress than I think we've ever been before, at least in, in, in my lifetime. And it just compounds the problem. And now we're starting to see, you know, a lot of uh, hybrid attacks. Can, can we talk a little bit about some of those? Well, I, I had one this morning I thought was interesting, not, not to myself, but I had a friend actually call up and they received a malicious link uh, from a text. And they, and they claimed to me, they said, it's okay, though, because it came from Apple and I'm using Apple devices. And I said, well, hold on one second. I said, before I say anything else, don't click on the link. And they said, oh, no, no, it's okay. I already clicked on the link. And I went, oh. But, and of course, it was somebody that was sending a series of texts, giving a sense of urgency that their device was potentially affected with malware. We've heard the story a hundred different ways spun. But I think this is a type of interesting attack because they were using some social engineering. They were doing it through a text, which is a little bit different. And, and this individual made the connection, well, I have an iPhone, an Apple device, it's from Apple, it's spoofed, so it really looks like it's from Apple with the number and everything else. It's convincing. And they gave a series of texts giving a sense of urgency. So this was kind of a little bit of a different spin on other attacks that I've seen, but to the point where they actually clicked on it, and then they were actually going on the App Store, and that's why they called me, because they wanted help in finding the right uh, program to make sure they can get the malware off their phone. And I said, stop. I said, you're not buying any program today. It's a complete scam. Don't click anything else. Delete that immediate link, so on and so forth. But interestingly enough, they were so worried. And, and again, they're dealing with health issues. As you talked about, Tyler, stress in life, technological issues that they keep getting bombarded with scams, but they convince themselves it's not a scam. So when you see that sense of urgency and all these other factors, any little tell or red flags, it's really important to stop and don't click on stuff. Don't take it to the next step. Try to qualify. And if you're not sure, that's okay. I always tell people, I'm glad you called, but stop what you're doing. Call a trusted friend, call, call, call your father, call your, your buddy that's in the IT department, call somebody that knows cyber a little bit. Call the company, call Apple. Apple, do you actually send text messages and tell me that I have malware on my phone? So I think when we look at a lot of these things, look at our situation and don't be overwhelmed by our stress. It's going to happen anyway, but if we could just stop and not take that the next step, the next step into the scam, because usually we're going to fall victim at some stage, as yes. was mentioned earlier. I've recently seen um, a uh, sort of type of attack where, um, you know, they they text um, or send SMSs to the uh, parents um, saying, you know, your child, you know, pay over a thousand pounds now, thousand dollars now. So um, as a parent myself, I think, you know, if I get a text message like that, I would just be completely like, what do I do next? And I would be completely like, just pay, pay the money 
um, because my child is in danger. So I think there's so much exploitation and manipulation. So there's such a dark and bad side to all of this as well. There is. There is and, and that's such a horrible thing too. Um, the, what is it called? Um, the kidnapping ransomware. It, it where where you get um and, and I've seen this too where so where exactly what you just said they'll get a, a call sometimes it'll appear to come from your loved one's phone number um or or maybe not and the thing to do in that instance is ask to speak to the kid or to whoever the loved one is and at the same time have someone else try contacting the kid or the kid's school because you know, that way you can rest assured before you send any money. Because again, it's like you said, it's that urgency and just taking a step back and saying, okay, you can even have a code word with, with your loved ones and with your kids that, that nobody else knows. And, you know, that's a good determination of if it's real or if it's not, but that's such a scary situation to be in because, when you think about it, if if you're going to be getting a call like that, you know, they're going to be asking for some type of cryptocurrency, I'm, I'm assuming. And not everybody has cryptocurrency. <laughs> so what do you do in that situation? <laughs> well, a lot of times they'll actually provide you some support and help so you can go obtain cryptocurrency. Well, that's so nice oh, of them. <laughs> yeah, so they're very, very nice. And they'll even have a 1-800 number oftentimes to set you through it. There's how-to videos, how to go buy cryptocurrency. They'll help you locate a Bitcoin ATM machine. So I, I think they're breaking down all of the roadblocks so they can have a successful scam or a cyber criminal can follow through and, and actually obtain the money. And they're also able to pivot quickly. I noticed in one case where it was targeting my grandparents, instead of trying to get them to uh, send cryptocurrency, they said you could simply go uh, to a local target and get a wire transfer form and fill it out and send it. So, And there, why? Because they realized, oh, here's somebody elderly. Let me try a different approach that is likely more successful. And guess what? While they were in line with that wire transfer form, because they were an assisted living facility, the 10 people behind them that were also seniors all had wire transfer forms. They targeted 1,500 people in the same facility with the same scam. So you see how effective it is when people are innocent and trusting, especially the elderly, they might take it to the next step. But cyber criminals are smart enough to pivot and say, okay, let me not push cryptocurrency because nine out of 10 elderly are probably not going to have cryptocurrency or be able to easily get through the technical hurdles to obtain it and pay it. Let's, Let's do traditional wire transfer. They have a bank account. We can, we can make it work that way. So little things that I think that um, are important just to, to be aware of so we don't fall victim and let our loved ones know as well. And I, I think also what, one of the things that always strikes me is for the cyber criminals, this is their business. And some of these businesses are huge, sophisticated businesses, and they're, they're clever and, and the reality is the training that a social engineer goes through is no different to a lot of the training that you put, you know, your sales teams through in large corporates, you know, understanding how to influence somebody, you know, understanding how to use um, profiling in your communication. 
in order to get a sales message across. You know, we we do that in in corporate world. Social engineers do that just the same. You know, it it's a business, and uh, and a lot of these businesses are very very successful businesses, and understanding the tools that they use and the tricks that they use, and you know, there needs to be a greater understanding that phone numbers are so easy to spoof. Yes. You know, you know, I can make it look like I'm calling from from your daughter's school or or that I'm calling from within your business when I put a call into the IT department. That's not difficult to do. But th- there still isn't that general understanding. Not, you know, and to Scott's point, not not within our our families and our loved ones. And and we need a, a more general understanding that this is this is part of the problem, isn't it? I think it's also really important um, is the terminology. And, and one thing I think when I've, I've studied and I've talked to a lot of very successful people that can socially engineer themselves through a situation, I think about um, Frank Abagnale Jr., um, Catch Me yeah. If You Can, that movie that probably many, many of your listeners and many of us have seen. Uh, I had the privilege of, of meeting him and chatting with him for a while on, on different occasions. And it's interesting. He was very successful and he was more of what I call an old school social engineer um, person that could, could, could manipulate it, but by using familiar jargon. So if I was going to pretend I was an airline pilot or something, I would start to use terminology. I can go on Google or I'd watch a movie or read some books and learn, you know, deadhead and a Boeing 737 wheels up and, you know, familiar terminology or acronyms that are focused to that industry. So the person that you're trying to target, it builds credibility. And suddenly once you hear two or three terminology used in a sentence in in our industry, if somebody says a DDoS attack or something like that, we say, oh, they must understand what cybersecurity is. So we're all guilty of this, but that's when, uh, again, we got to put the red flags up and stop a little bit and break it down and say, okay, are they really an expert in this area? Are they really from the airline? Are they really calling from the bank's fraud department? I've had that call many a times. And then I simply ask them a few questions and then suddenly the phone hangs up. (laughs) So, you know, we want to be careful just because somebody says they're from something and they rattle off a bunch of familiar acronyms or even a successful social engineering scam, they do their homework. They gather a little bit of information about you. They yeah. maybe get the last four digits of your social security number. They look up, um, how's the weather there, Scott, in New Jersey this morning? Hey, I'm with the Bank of America Fraud Department. We've got an alert on your account. Last four digits of your social security number. This I just need to confirm a few bits of information so I can make sure no fraudulent transactions go through. And then suddenly you're like, oh, no, was my wife's? shopping again and and they 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 skimmed the card hold on you what information you need i'll be happy to help you so it's it's the fast talk familiar terms and the confidence that they can uh portray that convinces all of us if we're not real careful yeah i'm I'm so glad you brought up um the statement analysis the way that people will type to kind of mirror what they're supposed to be and you know, I've, I've even seen it. Um, if, you know, you have a community, you, you communicate with say a friend all the time on text or on, on social media, 
um, you know, hackers are even starting to, you know, take the words, the terminology, the way that people phrase things. And if they're pretending to be that person to come back to you with that same terminology. And yeah, you know, I think about it like this, you know, I, I, you, you, you guys know this, Scott, you definitely know this. I don't use any punctuation in my text messages. It's just like jumbled words, but they're there. And if suddenly you got a text message for me with like perfect grammar, <laughs> that should be it. <laughs> <That's a> Tyler. <laughs> But it's these little things. And we I, I think, and, and Marilise, maybe you can help with this. I, I think that subconsciously we pick up on that stuff. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, you've mentioned that example because it is very important to look for a change in behavior. But of course, you don't know the bad guy on the other side. So you don't know, but it's it's looking for and also being alert always being alert, I should say, and on your guard for these discrepancies, these unusual anomalies coming up. And, and, and I, guess, I guess that's why there is this absolute need to be on your guard 24-7. And, you know, it makes it so hard. I mean, I've recently seen a very mature organization do a phishing simulation where way too, too many people actually clicked on the link. And, this was straight after they've done a, an awareness campaign around um, spotting phishing attacks. And it was a huge disappointment for them, but it reinforced that message of being on your guard 24-7. And, and, and that's the key thing and the important thing and the difficult thing. And it kind of links to what you said earlier, Tyler, about the, the expectation to always be at your best. <laughs> because let's face it, we're not. Most people are not because we're just stressed out of our minds. And so what, what Rob said earlier, which is really fascinating to me, is this, and, and, and sort of light bulb moment for me, is around the sort of, we need to know the tools. We need to be more familiar with the methods and the tools. We also need to be more familiar with the psychology and understanding how our personal resilience also play into this. What a great point. But yeah, I mean, definitely our, our personal resilience. I, I, I love that. I, I may steal that line. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, I, I was thinking about this too. How many times a day does the average person have a social engineering attempt made on them? And I was thinking about this. I get, I get texts from UPS consistently that click here, your package is, is delayed. And you know, I, I, I don't click on it, but I get so many of those. I get at least three spam calls a day and I don't even want to go through like email or social media because there's just, there's, there's some there too. So how many times a day do you think a person gets a, te- a social engineering attempt? 10? I don't uh, know. I, I, it's huge, isn't it? And the, the other thing is if you're, because some of it is that it's a numbers game and the criminals are just throwing loads of stuff out there knowing that a, you know a big chunk of people aren't going to click but they don't need many people to click in order to to get it so to to one extent it's a numbers game um on the other hand if somebody's targeting you and they're pretending to be you and they're calling you know your 
you know, a service provider to try and hack your account or, or whatever. And the first service operative that answers the call isn't cooperative. They just hang up and they call again and they get to speak to somebody else and they, or they're, they're piecing it together. They're getting bits of the jigsaw. So ultimately it might be the eighth call and it's the eighth different person, but they've now got enough information to get through and now to compromise your your account and you know there's that's happening too for sure i always like the uh the, the stat that from a phishing scam uh, a scam how why do they keep doing it i always wonder i did some research and, and there's over eighty thousand people every single day that click on the link that's attached there in the phishing scam, which dispenses particular malware, often ransomware. So the bottom line is to, to kind of what Rob said, it's a numbers game. It works. They're going to keep doing that until people stop clicking on it or use junk filters or something else. So we have to be aware of that, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. I mean, and, you know, I can think of, cause so many, a lot, oftentimes people say, well, you know, who cares? I don't have anything to lose, but that isn't true in the slightest. I, I know a, a gentleman personally who um, had his identity stolen and these people went out of their way to um, go get a driver's license in another state in his name. I mean, this guy's life was almost destroyed. And I mean, I know this is an extreme version of it, but he almost got divorced over it. He got a huge a health condition because he was so stressed out. He actually said, I, I contemplated suicide because it, it, they took everything from him. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's really horrible. And he just fell for one scam. So, I mean, there's, there, and there's, there's definitely tools that, um, that, that we can use to kind of help prevent this. And, you know, I really want to kind of go around about that discussion, um, when we get back from, from our break, because, you know, we're not always at our best. Like we've said, these attacks are, are coming at, are coming at us multiple times a day. And the chances of, of someone falling for them, I would say are very high eventually to Rob's point, you know, the eighth time, you know, they'll, they'll get through. So if they really want you, they're going to keep trying to get you. So we'll discuss, you know, some of the methods and some of the ways that you can really aside from kind of being alert, really determine if something is um, a social engineering attack, whether it's business, um, your kids, personally, or, or whether or not it's, it's, it's your family. So let's take a quick break now. And um, when we come back, we will continue our conversation. So let's go to break now. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to My Connected Life with Tyler Cohen Wood. To reach the show during the live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Tyler at TylerCohenWood.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to My Connected Life. I'm your host, Tyler Cohen Wood, and we are talking about social engineering. Now, while we were on a break, Rob, you started to tell a story um, that I think the audience would like to hear. Sure. So I was literally this morning, I was having a conversation with... Um, a guy in New Zealand and he he was previously based in the UK and he basically packed up uh, packed up his life in the UK and emigrated to New Zealand but in doing so cyber criminals moved in and took over part of his UK identity and they knew where he used to live and uh, by piecing together we were talking before the break about you know, people calling service providers. Yeah. If you can, if you can fool a utility company and you can break the system in order to get a copy of a utility bill, for example, this is part of the jigsaw that the criminals are putting together in order to do the things that they need to do to start to take on your identity. And it's, it's horrendous. And talking to him about his journey was, you know, horrible. But this is happening all the time. And well, um, it's horrible. What what can we do to protect ourselves? I mean, aside from um, taking a break, if you see something or someone's calling and there's they're urgency, trust, fear, think about that and, and walk away. Um, that, that, you know, that's something that I can think of. Um, you know, having protections um, on the your your phone, your laptop. Um, what are some other techniques that that we can use to protect ourselves from clicking the link? Uh, one that I always think about, and it's kind of sad. The world we live in. I tell everybody, trust no one. And I think about that from the perspective of maybe even my children. When I was a kid, I used to run outside and play in the woods and ride bikes, go anywhere. Just tell my mom, dad, I'll be back before the sun sets or whatever. They didn't worry. I didn't worry. 
today, I don't want my kids off the block. And we're looking out the window, you're checking the mobile phone, did they text? So there's a different type of, of fear I think we have. So I think recognizing that if you receive a text, an email, a phone call, a letter in the mail, you kind of have to make the assumption that this is fraudulent or could be until I prove it otherwise. And, and it's a sad way to do it, but I think it's the only safe way. And um, it works. It, it, it allows you to go through a couple steps to kind of validate it in your mind. Is this a spoof? Is this real? Are they trying to steal my money, my identity, my credit card, my social security number, my whereabouts, whatever the case may be. But if we kind of think like a cyber criminal, and we go through that psychological process in our brain and think it out carefully, it'll be somewhat of a protection. I don't like it. It's no way to live. Um, I, I, that happened to me years ago when, when I was targeted myself and the company hacked. And I think that puts you in a different mindset. Same thing when I had my car stolen or somebody had maybe their, their house was robbed. They felt you know, somebody to cross that line. Once you have that happen, you tend to be a little bit more paranoid. And unfortunately, we're telling people if you're paranoid, you'll be safer. And to some degree, I believe that because you won't go down that path and, and be fooled into clicking, divulging information or, or giving in to the, the, to the attacker. So zero trust for your life. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, it's cold, but it, but it, it does work and it's maybe a protect, at least for myself, I can't say it works for everybody, for myself, it's a defense that's kept me safe in multiple situations when I look back at it. And I have gone through the path with others when I get phone calls or emails or conversations where they're going down the line and getting scammed. I'm amazed how far some people will go. And it's usually to this topic because they're socially engineered. Mm -hmm. Somebody leads them down that path of credibility because it, it, it maybe even seems too good to be true, but you tend to then almost believe in it and fool yourself. I'll give you a case in point. I've been helping a lot of friends and I did an interview the other day about um, fake counterfeit postage stamps, huge problem. It's sold on Facebook and Etsy and all, all these other places. And you can buy stamps for 20 to 50% discount. And that, that's pretty crazy, but they're mass produced in China. There's a fake e-commerce site. And what are they doing? They're really just trying to gather and steal credit card information and personal information from us. And who wants to put a 58 cent stamp to mail a letter or a bill or a postcard to somebody? And now if you look, wow, they must've bought them bulk. This is great. I get it for 24 cents. And that's what's happening. People are spending upwards of hundreds of millions of dollars on fake U.S. postage stamps that cost fractions of a penny. And it's hard to discern them with the visual eye. You have to have short range ultraviolet light and a scanning machine at the, the postage facility to actually differentiate it. So you look at something like that, it's sold through what? Social media is the most common platform to sell fake postage. You see how appealing it is to people and it fools them. I think also, because I agree with you in terms of the trust piece, um, and sometimes when I'm giving talks and I say, just don't trust people, you, some people don't like that. Some people push back and go, we can't not trust people. And, and my message there is, well, look, if you can't take the I don't trust you, you've at least got to embrace being more sceptical. 
you know, yes. be sceptical of every every scenario. And there's a there's definitely an education piece in this. You know, we have to train more. Um, I think there's a problem, however, and, and we've already talked uh, about fishing and fishing tests. Marilise, you talked about a, a fishing test and how people had had that awareness and yet they still fell for it. One of the problems, I believe, is company officers think, yes, we've got to do something, do something and think they've ticked the box. And they just haven't. And we've seen all sorts of problems. You know, we've seen problems where people have overused um, fish threat type training. Uh, there was a case not so long ago where, you know, a company was actively using fish threat so that phishing emails got sent out, but they were actually spoofed phishing emails. And the idea was if somebody did click on the link, they'd then get a training video. That's great if you use it very rarely. This company were overusing it. And what actually ended up, they, they created a culture where everybody thought that a suspect email was actually a training course. So they were clicking on the links and they got this <gasps> massive, massive rise in, uh, in ransomware and malware and, and so on. So there's that. And then the other thing is, look, Phishing's not the only way you're going to be attacked. Oh. And um, back to the piece that we were talking about earlier, where we said that social engineers learn to mimic you. They, they mimic your, your interests, your, your style of speech, the phraseology that you use to, to the airline example that you gave, Scott. People do that, but it's physical as well. You know, they'll look at, well, how do you dress? How do people dress that work in your office? And one of my favorite examples is, you know, social engineers wanting to hack your business. They want to get into your business. So they case the joint and they watch and they see who comes and goes. And one of the examples I always give is, you know, every week you get the company that comes to change the sanitary bins in the ladies' toilets. They wear a uniform of some sort. Now, my question in any business is if somebody dressed in the uniform of the company that you use to change the sanitary bins comes to the front door with fresh sanitary waste bins under their arms and rings the buzzer, who challenges them? And if that person is walking around the building, who challenges them? And I've never yet done a talk in an organisation where, honestly, staff say, yeah, no, I would always stop the sanitary waste person to make sure they're legit. They don't. I, I don't think I would stop them. Yeah. unless but they could be carrying a USB key with malware on it. And, <laughs> or in the sanitary bin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they'd want to use it after that, but... <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think Rob makes a really valid point, and I think maybe the words I used were too harsh, even though it may be the way that I feel about trust. I like the way he mentions question. Yes. So do you pose a question? It, it, when you tell somebody you don't trust them or you 
you clearly imply it based upon your, your line of reasoning and stop someone, they can get offended. However, if you question them and you do it carefully and say, oh, is today cleaning day? I haven't seen you here. It, it, it sparks a conversation and that person may go, oh, uh, uh, uh. And, and now suddenly their, their game is over or there's a little tell comes out that you realize um, that they realize they might be caught. So I think using a good line of questioning and reasoning with them, engage with somebody if it is a type of conversation. I do that on the phone. I find it amazing if, if there, a scam is starting and I'll say, oh, I said, I'm so glad you called. I don't want to be a victim here. I said, you know what? This is so important before I make a mistake or somebody accidentally hangs up on us. Let me get your name and phone number. Hold on. Let me jot this down. Click. They hang up. Now, I wasn't offensive. And if the person was legitimate and real, that, that's probably something that they would divulge that information. So you can find balance maybe and pose question and use the questions as a means to really analyze What's this person's intent? Are they legitimate? Is it real? And, and be careful too, because what I've noticed in a lot of the latest, latest social scams, social engineering scams, is they they mix it up where it's not just somebody talking, it's also tied to an email that has credible graphics, or they send you to a website and they happen to spoof, you know, you're looking on your mobile phone, you see the number 1 800, you know, bank XYZ. Oh, sir, you could simply validate my credentials. Go to www.bankxyz and you'll see the number there and and they they could fool you. And now suddenly you divulge even more information than you normally would. So just be very slow to give out information and ask a series of questions. And that usually will slow them down because they're fast thinkers. And they've, I think Rob mentioned earlier, it's a numbers game. You're one of a thousand calls that day. So they, they're going to move on to the next one. They're not going to waste 30 seconds more than they have to if it's, if it's a phone scam or something like that. So I think you, the effective use of questions can really be a, a deterrent for taking it the next step or, or giving away a little bit more information than you should. And I love, I love that, Scott, because I think that also ties nicely in with the behavior that we promote, which is pause and think before you click, before you act. So stop and think before you act. And and I think what what's really interesting is Rob, and Rob sort of alluded to the, the you know shortcomings in training and in, in, in many organisations when it comes to um, um, you know raising awareness and embedding that sort of secure culture in the organisation. What we what we don't do is we don't actually help people with the actual behaviors that we want them to adopt. You know, we ask, we ask them or we highlight, you know, look out for these things in the email. <laughs> but we don't say, you know, stop and think before you click or if you suspect it, report it. And what, what, we, what we really have to start doing better is to help people and constantly remind people so that that behavior becomes a habit. So doing the right thing becomes the automatic thing to do. And I think that's where we are completely failing at the moment as an industry. I I really agree with, with that point. I mean, I think that, you know, the cyber cybersecurity awareness training, it's just got to change. And, and, and cybersecurity has just got to be part, at least a basic understanding of it has to be part of every job. But, you know, and I've said this before, I've noticed, you know, in, in, 
in presentations, and I've been working in the cybersecurity awareness arena for a really long time, whether it was part of my job or not. And one of the things that I've noticed is if you tell people, if you click this link, your company could get ransomware, they push next. But if you say, if you click this link, you could be inviting hackers into your home and they could have access to your daughter's video camera. It's the same techniques that you're going to use to protect yourself and your family that you're going to use to protect your business. And maybe personalizing the training a little bit more may be an effective solution. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's really answering that question of what's in it for you. You know, what is the so what in this? And of course, the context is different for different people. Um, and I think it's, it's just really important to acknowledge that, you know, if we look at the psychology of the brain, we are speaking to the rational part of people's brains, the neuro, the neurocortex. But what are the hackers targeting? They're targeting the emotional, the the limbic system. They're targeting the amygdala, you know, the feeling part of our brain. So it's a complete mismatch. And and, and that's exactly to your point, Tyler. This the feeling part is, you know, what if this puts your daughter or your child in danger? And and so we're missing it. We're absolutely missing a trick. You know what's a really interesting statistic is that there's 10 seconds between someone opening an email and clicking on a phishing link. Um, and this, this tells us that people, people don't even have time to read the email, let alone go through all the checks that we ask them to do, right? So the auto, it's the auto response part of the brain, you know, so the feeling part, the limbic system, the amygdala part of the brain that's actually responding and clicking. It's not the conscious part of the brain. So, yeah, really fascinating stuff. Interesting. So so if, if we waited maybe 20 seconds, would that kind of change it to the more rational part of the brain? Well, it means that you'll have that moment to stop and think. You know, I have a very a completely unrelated example, but just before we went on holiday recently, um, it was days before our flight and South Africa was still on the red list. And so we were this close to canceling our holiday and we were literally on the phone to BA and BA was about to change our flights and then it was going to cost us a lot of money. And then I said to Jaime, let's just, let's just think about this. And I spent literally five minutes sat there doing absolutely nothing. And I got the perspective. I got calm. And all I said to him is we're not changing anything. We're getting on that plane and we'll figure it out from there. And then South Africa was removed from the red list. But it was such a classic example of just taking that moment to pause, to breathe, and to just think rationally about what's going on here. But, but, but of course, we don't have time. Back to your earlier point about stress, about, you know, running, running around like mad headless chickens. You know, we just go, 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 go. And, and, and we just never take that moment to, to stop and, and then throw into the mix the the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails that you get, you know, it's just such a maze. (laughs) I think you could also use technique. One that I've used might work for, for some of the listeners. I I get a little more than a thousand emails a day, juggling four emails accounts. It's, it's overwhelming many times when I come in in the morning, I'll have a cup of coffee and I'll quick scan my emails. And once that look like they're a purchase order, 
uh, financial related, this and that. I like to try to investigate them as, as pathetic as that sounds to make sure it's not a scam. So I'll actually ah. flag them. So I have a little red flag through my email and I'll click a bunch of them. So it's 10 suspect ones. Later on, when I have time, I go back and I actually check the raw headers and look and see where it came from. Is this spoofed? Is it real? And, and as you do that each day, you start to train yourself to quickly learn, nope, scam. And nine out of 10 of them are scam. But every once in a while, there's a real one in there and say, wow, that looked like a scam and it's a legitimate order. I'm glad that I took the time when I had a clear head and did it as opposed to just jumping in there, click, click, click as you're distracted, drinking your coffee, answering the phone. So I think to, to your point, the I like that fact about the time. Don't be such a rush. We're, we're told we have to do X number of things in a day within this set amount of time. Sometimes we have to say, well, no, I can't. Or I'll do that later when I have a clear moment to concentrate on this because it is important. And most email is not that important. That's part of the problem. I think it's information overload. I think the same thing. I don't check my mail anymore at home. I, I, I get it from the mailbox and I just put it on the counter. I walk away from it. It's too much information for me to dissect. And I usually trust my wife to go through it. it and that's kind of sad, but there's too much stuff that we have to do in a day. So I think taking out the appropriate time for things that we deem more important or need to be more secure it is important and helps us to sort through and not not fall victim. There's uh, two two thoughts that I've had on this. One is actually I just need to be giving staff old equipment that's slower, and uh, I'll save myself a whole that's brilliant <laughs> whole heap of money. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> You've had a run through, Rob. <laughs> 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 Windows, Windows NT, or Windows ninety eight. <laughs> but 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 the other thought, the other thought was listening to Scott and his process of going through the email, and, and one of the things that I often think is, you do that, Scott, and you know why you do it. Yeah. And obviously it pays it pays dividends and that's great. I think one of the other problems that we have is that we do stuff in our businesses and we put stuff in place and we don't spend enough time explaining to people why we're doing it yeah. and why this is important. And again, to your to your point, Tyler, when you're doing uh, cyber security education make it personal make it make it about the audience's children and all of a sudden you've got their attention i can i completely agree with that and i i use that that tactic but so many things it's it's like it's like it's really easy to put on a, a header to an email to say this email is not an internal email it's come from outside the organization Companies turn that on without ever telling their staff why they're doing it. And then they get bombarded with complaints saying, now my email is really, really wordy. Please, can we turn it off? And yet, if they'd explained it, they would have had more buy-in and more acceptance, and that would have been a useful tool. Um, so I think it's really important that we always remember the why in, in our messaging and the delivery of whether it's training or tools or methods, that, that's essential. Yeah, the why first, but then also the how, because I think what we also lazy um, and don't do particularly well is actually to say to people, this is the right way to do it. 
we just sort of say, oh, no, you've done this wrong, and this is why, but then we fail to actually give them the solution. So it's the complete piece. Yes, agreed. That's, that, that's such a great point, is, is, is making sure that everyone has the same solution. Because imagine not being a cybersecurity professional and you're inundated with this stuff. I mean, it really is hard. But, you know, some of the things we've talked about, take a little bit more time to, to, to look at the email, check the link, see where it's going before you, you click on it. And, you know, also, I, I kind of like you said what you said, Scott, about your, having uh, your wife kind of go through emails. Have a buddy system, a cybersecurity buddy. <laughs> if you think something's suspicious, hey, uh, Scott, what do you think of this? <laughs> yeah, I think that that's really good because somebody that's a third party, and it could be somebody you're related to, it could be a trusted friend. I, I have several friends that they, they're in the world of business, but they're not in cybersecurity. And I get texts from them, phone calls. This week, I think I've had four different questions just from colleagues. And, and I've learned it's important for me to stop and take the time to answer, listen to it, because it's also partly I'm learning. I'm learning from their misfortunes in hopes that I can help other people. And that's, that's really important, the, the ability to share information amongst one another as colleagues, but also to business owners, to consumers, to, so people get it. I think collectively, that's a lot of power to fight back against the cyber criminals when we work together and communicate, because telling, telling stories of, of my screw-ups in the past and people get a chuckle when I speak, it actually works well. Because they say, okay, it happened to this guy. He's supposedly an expert here, but even him it happened to. So I guess I got to be more careful too. bring it down to reality and relate to them. And I think that's important. You know, you could even make it into a game with your kids too, because these are important things that they need to understand as well. Yeah. Not to, not to click on these links. So, so yeah. So I think that we've covered quite, quite a bit here. Um, We've. Does anyone have any other points they wanna they wanna kind of end with? We'll we'll, we'll start with you, Marilise. I I really wanted to, and the whole time I've been thinking about about this at the sort of back of my mind. But this idea that you know when you when you check your emails first thing in the morning, you're kind of a slave to other people's agendas. And I teach this a lot in my productivity training as a high performance coach. And I couldn't help but think about that in, in the sense that when we, when we just get straight into that in the mornings and we're in kind of firefighting mode, we are on other people's agendas. So I'm thinking, actually, can we also help people to be more, resilient and to be more productive by actually saying to them what is that sort of first thing you do in the morning the first hour of your day and how do you set yourself up to be the best you for the day I know this is a bit left field but I just sort of wanted to get that out there I love that thank thank you for that we 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 just have a little bit of time um Rob do you have anything else that you'd like to add in 10 in three seconds (laughs) yeah I think I think be skeptical and and be aware that you're being scammed in in all aspects of your life. And it's not just online. It's not just digital. It could be physical, too. That's great. Scott, anything to add? Just in, in two seconds, be a hacker. Try it for an hour. Try it for a day. 
and try to think like a hacker. As you do that and try to fool your friends in an innocent way, you'll appreciate what to look out for even more. Oh, I'm going to have so much fun doing that. (laughs) Just not to me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all so much for being here. This was such a great episode. Um, And uh, listen, next time, next week, we'll have another episode of uh, My Connected Life. This is your host, Tyler Cohen Wood. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to My Connected Life. We have much more for you next Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be careful with your data and your life.